Would you like to know how top animators bring their characters to life with effortless grace? How they create animations that leave audiences spellbound? I don't know how they do it, but buckle up, because you're in for a treat. Get ready to elevate your animation game and join us now, as in this episode, 2304, Bill and Sean Johnston, the CG Bros, will be answering the commonly asked question, what are the 12 rules of animation on the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast? Hello, and welcome to another edition of the CG Insider Podcast. If you're a returning fan, it's great to see you again. And if you're new, a special welcome to you. In today's episode of the CG Insider Podcast, Bill, my bro, and I will be providing another answer to a great question submitted to our Ask Us Anything page at thecgbros.com, this time by Amelia M. from Victoria, Canada. And Amelia asks us, what are the 12 rules, i.e., principles of animation. I'm Sean Johnston, a CG artist and animator in the video games industry with uh, over 28 years of experience. And today I'm a full-time animation director and uh, Bill and I are grateful to be your host for this edition of the CG Insider podcast. Yes, we are. And I'm Bill Johnston, an industry veteran, and I specialize in 3D animation and digital VFX for folks like Activision, Blizzard, and Sony Computer Entertainment. And by the end of our discussion today, uh, you'll not only learn what the 12 rules or 12 laws or 12 principles of animation are, but uh, you'll also learn some simple techniques that you can use to help help you understand them and remember them as well, because there's, there, sometimes you know they're, they're a little abstract. Uh, also, be sure to stay to the end where we'll be sharing some examples of the 12 principles in use in some, uh, some current films. Um, and that's a great question. Thanks for asking us, uh, Amelia. Uh, so, Sean, you know, I mean... Before we get into the twelve rules, I know that you know you know that those twelve rules or twelve principles were were kind of brought canonized, congealed, canonized. Thank you in, in the eighties, uh, early eighties, and but they must have had some some guide or some some something that they used uh, early on. Uh, how did how did animation get started? Well, I mean, animation goes back a you know long time. Actually, in fact, we we talked about what uh, where they're doing cave drawings back where they had sequence of events going on. Uh, animation going on there where you had uh, them hunting animals and things on on primitive cave drawings um, but basically if you you know before 1900 a lot of techniques uh, for example they're using a lot of flip books to do um, uh, the illusion of motion we've talked about that in previous podcasts as well and then these fancy terms for the uh, phenakistoscope Right, and that was a device that was used to spin discs and give that creation of uh, create the illusion of motion. That was invented in the 1830s, um, and that was widely used in early animation. And then, of course, the zoetrope, uh, which was the cylinder with the slits cut into the sides, and that uh, that had a, a sequence of images as well. And that the cylinder spun, and the images appeared to animate. And then uh, a lot of it was uh, a stop action stuff. So. You would uh, create a uh, basically photographing objects, inanimate objects such as puppets or models, one frame at a time. That was very prob- probably a lot of that. And then there's a lot of cutouts for early uh, early animated films. They were doing the same thing, and so that they didn't have the obviously the well, computers we have today, where you have um, you can the computer can do all the in betweens. Um, and so today um, or back then, it was a little bit harder to do. wasn't as prolific. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's pretty much it. It was a lot of straight ahead stuff. So almost a lot of, a lot of stop action uh, is what you saw. Um, yes, I remember, course, I remember when I was going to say, when I, growing up, you know, we, we watched a lot of Gumby. And that was, you know, that was way before the 12 principles came out. And, 
you know, they did a pretty good job of animating doing, I mean, claymation was a, was a biggie when I, when we were young anyway. And I, I, I became a real fan of claymation just in, you know, how do they make the clay, you know, look, look, look real. And, and it was kind of the nice thing about using clay, uh, claymation is that they, it's flexible, you know, it, it bends nicely. It's not like a, a stiff articulated robot or, or maybe even a, you know, a, a doll that has, you know, uh, joints that just wrote, you know, you just rotated the joint. It's just very stiff looking, but the, the clay characters, you could really, uh, and they did some amazing uh, effects using a lot of these principles before they were even defined in claymation. Yes. And, uh, I, 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 you know, thinking back to all those old, old, uh, shows back in when we were kids, uh, a lot of it was claymation. Uh, in Davey. fact, a lot, well, uh, yeah, Davy and Goliath, but a lot of it also, you know, they, they just didn't canonize a lot of these principles until late 1981 when the Disney's illusion mm -hmm. of life came out the book that everybody, uh, all animators basically have, uh, oh, uncle a, Ollie Johnston. Yeah. Yes. Yes. No, no, no relation, unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, you know, Hanna-Barbera cartoons, all the cartoons uh, that we, we grew up on, Spider-Man, all of those, uh, Johnny Quest, you know, those were using a lot of these principles. They, they just weren't, uh, you know, opened up to the majority of people. You could, you could buy books on animation, um, but I think now it was such a great idea that these, these two amazing, um, you know, the Disney's uh, old men, one of the two, two of those guys, Ollie Johnson and Frank Thomas. Yes, <clears throat> they 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 put together these this amazing book, which is basically one of the Bibles um, that animators use today. And those principles. The only other one that I would say uh, that I've used is the Animator Survival Kit, and that's by Richard Williams, uh, which is another really really good one. But there's a lot of good books out there. But I'd say the, the main is the Disney's Animation Illusion of Life, which describes yes, like each the, of the twelve. It's like the it's like the Animation Bible to to animators really. Uh, and yeah, it's, that's it's, what I said. It's, and what's, what's really, yeah, what's really nice about it though is it doesn't, you know, the principles can apply can can be used for any type of animation, you know, whether of it's course. traditional or hand drawn or computer or stop motion or whatever kind of animation you're doing, uh, the principles apply to each one of those. Well, I have some really good examples. Do you want to go into that? Or do you want to talk some more history? What do you want to where you want to go with this? Well, no, I think that's yeah. Why don't we just jump on in? So so. The 12 principles or laws or guidelines or whatever, you know, whatever we're going to call them, they're, they're just basically a way to, you know, it's like you said, it's a codified, some codified, uh, and I would consider these minimums, you know, the I would use these 12 rules. If you use the 12 principles or rules, you'll, you'll get some good animation if you're good at, at applying those rules. But there are, there are more rules, of course, to animation that we're not going to cover here. But these are the, the, the 12 that are in the illusion of life. So, yeah, let's go. The first well, one. Number is, one. Squash number one. Yeah. Squash and stretch. You have examples. You want to it, it, well. You want to describe what that exactly is. Well, uh, you know when you well you I, I it's basically when you're when you're <clears throat> it's a way to give your 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 characters flexibility. It basically makes the motion of your character. Uh, if you don't have squash and stretch, basically a rigid and stiff like I was talking about. Um, and and squash and stretch is a is a is a kind of a way around that. And it breaks that the harshness and that, or the solidity kind of when I was talking about claymation and, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, posing a dolls, it's that, you know, you've got a doll and you animate it, you, you animate a doll. It's, it's very solid looking. Whereas the clay, it, it's very liquid and, 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 and uh, free flowing. It's just, it's just a smoother type of animation style, but you know, the squash and stretch. And, and that's kind of, I think why I like the claymation is because they used squash and stretch a lot uh, in that, but uh, yes, it, it makes just, it feel it just gives a natural thing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes it feel more realistic and dynamic and, a lot of examples of that would be winding up before a punch or bending down before a jump. A lot of that squash and stretch is there. There's also some anticipation in there as well. But 
Um, you know, it, for example, if you had a, uh, they, they like to use the, the example when you're first doing animation is, is using the bouncing ball. That's probably the, the best example of that. Um, in, in, in this example here, for example, if you had different materials, a rubber ball would bounce different than a bowling ball versus a ping pong ball versus a basketball. And so a lot of the uh, difference in, in how you do this, it's kind of like they call it the bouncing ball exercise and they teach basic principles of animation. And this has a lot of different things in there demonstrating you know squash and stretch as well as exaggeration and arcs and timing and things like that which we'll go over but uh, a good a good example of of one just i'm just going to show you an example of, of what it's used for in for example tangled uh this this particular uh was, was was a breakdown where you can actually see it slow down frame by frame where you see a lot of that squash and stretch going in here is and what it does it gives you an animation gives you a pop a, a, a sense of of uh, a dynamic uh, exaggeration and and it feels better. It's a feeling you get when you're uh, when you're animating, and it's really um, hopefully your rig that you're using to animate will give you that flexibility to be able to stretch it like that. A lot of Ooh. rigs that you, a lot of those rigs Sorry. you can't do that, and you're breaking the rig a lot of times. You're making these weird poses where you're stretching out the the uh, arms and the head way beyond a, a natural person. But in but in animation, it it actually feels better than real life, in my opinion. That's a really great example of squash and stretch right there. I mean, that's uh, that's. I mean, you can really see it with the neck, his neck stretch. I mean, every every part of his body stretching. You know, yeah, it's, it's the there's so much of that. I mean, here's here's another example of that uh, uh, same thing. I mean, from Tangled, they're doing it. They do it all over the place. You see it everywhere in in, in animation in in 3D mm -hmm. as well as in your traditional 2D, of course. Um, so that that's just it's just a, a wonderful way. You just distort it, and you did these weird frames when you're when you're freeze framing to see uh, how amazing that these animators, these extremely talented animators, are doing in, in uh, production. Yes, and some of those some are very extreme in nature, you know. And I think that's 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 just a stylistic approach, depending on the you know the type of animation you're doing, whether it's stylized or realistic or whatever. Because obviously, people can't deform like that. So that's that's more to the style of, of, of what they're trying to produce there than, than a realistic style. I think a, another thing based on Tangled too is it's such an appealing film to watch because uh, Glenn Keane, um, animator Glenn Keane, uh, acted as the animation director for that and he basically worked with those 3D animators uh, throughout the entire production. And in fact, they would they would do their scenes and he would draw 2D images over the top and and, ex and make them and break, break them and make them more extreme um, and do those arcs and everything else. So, uh, you know, that it just looks so much better than you would. And I, and I, you, when I'm animating myself, there's a lot of times cause I'm doing it quickly, um, in my production and I have to go through those 12 principles and go back and, and make the, uh, make it more dynamic in my posing and things like that. So, um, it, all of these principles all work together. So yeah, to finish up, it just, you know, uh, squash and stretch, adds a sense of weight and flexibility to the characters or to whatever you're animating. So next, number so, two, yeah, go ahead. Definitely. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was going to go anticipation. Yeah. Um, this is basically just all about preparing the audience for an action. Um, for example, if the character's going to throw a ball, they'll end up winding up uh, before they throw it, right? Uh, this gives that audience the time to understand what's about to happen. 
Um, yeah, a lot of times, uh, you know, animators will, will, will give some type of uh, visual cues or something before a specific action takes place to kind of, like you said, prepare the audience. And here's a here's kind of a great example of that. When it, this was taken from Up. You see a giant ominous shadow. You know, you see this, you know, big balloons, what the heck's going on? You know, there are a lot of things that, that, that really build up to the, 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 the climax moment. You see the beautiful... A rainbow of colors as the sun passes through. You see this giant dynamic simulation. You see the, the earth, you know, the house pipes coming out and, uh, you know, expressions on their faces. This is all before the actual event happens. And so this is all part of the anticipation of actually pulling. And finally, you get to see the, the, the house fly away. Yeah, it builds that suspense up too. Example. But you know what's going to happen. It's building. You're right. I mean, for it, it, more uh, probably common that most people uh, for anticipation they see is a take is one of those uh, actions that you would see that you see a lot of times. And this, this is kind of a, this is Daffy Duck and he does, you know, when they do the whole, they do the whole zoinks, almost like what Shaggy used to do in, in Scooby-Doo. You'd get that, that uh, surprise, you know, yeah. suddenly realizes something's happening or seeing something shocking. Uh, and, and, and a lot of times there's, you know, your anticipation and then the reaction after that. So two steps. Zoinks. Yeah. Zoinks. <laughs> Zoinks. All right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and move on to uh, number three, staging. That's what I've got for number three. Um, yes. And staging is about is basically a, a principle that makes sure that the audience is able to, you know, clearly understand what the action's taking place on the screen. So, you know, if you, if you pose your, you compose and stage your, your, your action, uh, particularly when it comes to, you know, posing your character and making sure the lighting's good and the camera angle is right. So you can, you can understand what, what the heck's going on in the shot. It's it's a very important, you know, sometimes you, a lot of people don't really consider this part of, of animation principles, but this is a critical uh, element to, to keep in mind. You know, uh, Animation Mentor is a great, great website and, and great uh, teachers. Obviously, they're they're in the, the profession themselves and they're they're your mentors. But I think I think the staging and composition uh, is often overlooked by animators uh, or unnoticed. Um, it's, it's, it's a really powerful tool that can basically inform the audience about the character and the narrative. So for example, what in, in a, a particular example, if there's a fight scene, you may you, you know, wanna make sure the audience knows which characters are fighting and what's, what's happening, why they're fighting. Um, and so I think uh, I even overlook a lot of this sometimes, but here's an example from Brown, Brown Bag Films. I think they do a really, really good job of all 12. Let me go back real quick. I'm just gonna refresh. Here's like a squash and stretch, an example of that, uh, that we showed the squash at the very bottom and the stretch. So you can see that. Um, uh, anticipation, here's another one of anticipation that they did. It really, really uh, is a great example of that. And then of course our staging, here's another one for staging. Um, so it's, you're staging also, you're seeing something that's just kind of uniform and is right there. It's not very dynamic in how it looks. Um, it's almost like when you're drawing too. Um, you know, you want to have not flat straight on. You want to have kind of a, a as a three quarter view of your character, so you can see more in a three D look of that character. It has it has a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, I mean exactly, and I mean it looks better too. And, it, and it, I mean, when you stage properly, it, it directs the audience's attention to you know what you want to show them, the most important parts of the scene, basically. Yeah, a lot of times you'll you'll go, I don't know what's wrong with the scene. It it doesn't feel right. There's a lot of animators will talk about feeling. It's it's all everything's all felt in here. You're you're if you're animating a a dinosaur, you're animating any character, humanoid, non-humanoid, you're, you're feeling it as it goes through. How am I going to be, you're acting basically uh, for that, that character. And it, that's what I think is the mo one of the most rewarding things is getting into the feeling of your character. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I agree. Well, we can move on from staging uh, uh, as well to uh, number four. Why don't we do that? 
Okay, well, number four is basically pose to pose and straight ahead animation. Here's a good example here. So you've got three poses and the um, you're, you're animating almost like uh, where you're doing tweening in between. So you're basically creating your, your main poses and then you're doing your in-betweens of those, those key poses. And that's how uh, a lot of the animation is done in the computer today. Stop action, like I was telling you, is more straight ahead where you, you're basically taking, you're, you're posing your character, taking a picture, posing your character, taking a picture. There's no real ability for you at, at, with using a stop, stop motion prop to do in-betweens um, uh, that way. So this is pretty much it is. It's, it's like stop action straight ahead. Yeah, and, and like, like you said, the computer, I, I remember when we first were doing computer graphics and we were talking about tweening, it seemed like such a silly term to use, you know, tweening. But once I involved, you know, once I understood the, the, the pose to pose and you, know, you can set your key poses and then the computer actually does all the frames in between, I said, this, this is the magic of computer graphics. <laughs> right. Right. I, I do a lot of straight ahead, basically, you know, starting from the beginning of the scene and working my way through it without going pose to pose. Um, a lot of a lot of animators, I've, I've done it just the opposite where I'm doing pose to pose and I'm just uh, flattening all my curves and making them um, straight and then basically animating through those um, and then uh, adding the, the curves in after and smoothing those things out in Maya. Um, there's a lot of that, a lot of thumbnails as well at the beginning when you're when you're doing that. So a lot of I think a technique would be just a thumbnail your, your main key poses while you're animating um, and then use the computer to do the in-betweens for you. Well, that's especially helpful, <clears throat> this, the pose to pose when you're doing hand animation too, I think. Yeah, when you're doing, when you're animating your hand? Yeah, yeah, just because of the, the intricacy. I mean, of course, there's, you're gonna have to do layering on top of the, uh, the poses, you know, to kind of, because because there's such detailed animation sometimes required. It really depends on the requirements. But yeah, if you've got a lot of detailed, deliberate actions, then, then that takes a lot of custom animation, frame to frame type of type of work. But, you know, tweening works pretty, uh, really nice for like fast action sequences and, and things like that, I think. Fulfills, you know, it's more conducive to that type of thing. Uh, but it does, it saves a lot of work. I mean, from, it talk about, I mean, they used to draw each each of those things by hand, Sean. Each one of them, uh, right? Doing the key poses, technique. yeah, yeah exactly. and then they would give it to their their underlings that would do all the uh, the in betweens. Um, well, the fifth principle uh, or rule uh, here's an example of that is follow through and uh, overlapping action. So this is this is really really cool. I love this. This is basically parts of a character um, and object that are moving after the main action stop. Um, for example, if a character's running, their arms and legs will move at different speeds, and and their hair uh, also, or depending on what they're wearing, a lot of the things that they got a backpack on, that thing's bouncing at a different time. There's that overlapping actions when you're, the character's going up and down. So you've got a lot of this, uh, and I think I think a lot of that um, that overlapping action and and um, follow through. I think a lot of people miss that as well. Uh, that that takes a lot of practice. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Well, with, without overlapping action, you've got Mr. Robot again. You know, you've yes. got, you know, if you see those robot dancers and they, each part moves one at a time and they all kind of one after the other instead of all kind of animating at the same time. That, you know, that's kind of what the difference. I mean, that's where overlapping, you know, it's very stiff and mechanical without overlapping action. Because, you know, if you think about it, real, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, you're moving your hands and your legs and your, your fingers and your, you know, different parts of your body all at the same time. So you, you have to have overlapping action to, to really, can, you know, still that to, realism to, to avert that. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're very robotic, robotic. It's almost like taking one of your old, um, dolls or, or your, um, GI Joes and just taking pictures of those. I and mean, there's not a lot of things on him to do overlapping, 
uh, action or um, fo- you know follow through. It's go ahead. Exactly. Uh, well, I'd say yeah. I mean, and and most you know most as far as characters go, it's mostly hair and clothes or and you know maybe necklaces and you know earrings and ponytails or stuff like that that. That, that you that you would apply those that that, that uh, follow through kind of stuff. Right, but I mean, also if your your character's falling down, mm-hmm. you don't want them all the all of the uh, appendages to, to hit the ground at the exact same time. That wouldn't be realistic. It's usually you know your head and you have the arm at a different time, your other arm, and then your legs. Um, all the your, your whole body is doing it at different times and you're dying, for example. So yes, and and number six, uh, that slow is, in and slow yeah. out. Mm-hmm. That's, Here, and I, we call it ease in and ease out. I think and. CG. A lot of what we do, yeah, absolutely. And here's an example of that again: brown bag films. They did a so it's great, about controlling great the speed of that movement to make it just you know speed up and slow down in a more you know, like it's conserving momentum or losing momentum stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we I use that a lot: slow in, slow out, ease in, ease out. Same thing. Yeah, characters don't move at a constant speed. Nothing really does. You know, if it stops on a dime, you know, it looks unnatural. And so you know, by slowing it down at the beginning and the end, it, it just makes it feel. <laughs> right, right. There's, there's always going to be that. Um, also, some squash and stretch on there as well. You know, when you're running, suddenly you stop moving. Um, you know, they don't, they don't slow down immediately. So there's a lot of that overlapping, a momentum and inertia of that body moving. Um, okay, seven, seven. This is the the arc principle, right? Yeah, it's, and the arc principle is basically, you know, how how does the thing move? Does it follow a, a straight line or does it? follow an arc or a curved path. And here, here's a kind of an example of a character that's joints are following an arced path or curved path. And you can kind of see that. Uh, and most joints in order to look natural uh, kind of need to do that. And here's another kind of example of not using uh, uh, arcs. You can kind of see here's the mechanical. <laughs> you see his ears kind of doing some little secondary animation, but that's kind of, you know, without curves, that's kind of what you get. A little popping robotic. and locking going on there. Exactly. Robotics <laughs> as opposed to, you know, just having nice little arcs and, and, yes. and uh, curves Whee. going on. Yeah, here's an ex- another example of that exact principle. So you're, you're seeing an object that follows a natural arc. A lot of it is, uh, you know, throwing a ball, it should follow a natural arc as well. So very important. All right, yes. number eight. Yeah. yeah. Secondary action. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I, it's just, you know, that's kind of the... the kind of the principle of, it's like follow through basically but it's just it's, it's more about adding secondary movements to a scene to kind of make sure that the main action feels believable it's 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 you know whether your 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 hand you know there, there's a lot well, let me show you I, I think I can show us an example it's basically uh, adding depth and realism by yeah. showing a uh, you know a character's reaction to the main action for example if a character's hit they'll react with a flinch or a grimace go ahead and show your example uh, go, go ahead, Sean. I'm a- okay, here's here's one right here. Here's an example, brown bag film. So you can kind of see two two bags on top of each other. One shooting it up. You got the secondary action of the of the other character or the other bag on top of it. It's moving at a different uh, speed. It's reacting to the first bag and bouncing on top of that. So that that's kind of what we mean by secondary action. That's a good example of that. All right, Sean. So no, rule number nine: timing. Timing. Here's a, here's a good example. Basically, timing is controlling the pace of animation and the length of each action. Basically, how quickly or slowly something moves and how long it stays still on in, in the frame or camera. So here's an example, um, again, of, of timing. And this is a, a really good example here. You see two examples of both bags. One's got this even timed and the other one has um, is slowing at the very, very top and coming down quickly. So you have a more realistic view on the second one. Everything on the other side is just even 
And that's 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 not uh, what you want to be doing. The one on the right, definitely not. Yeah, much more dynamic. Well, definitely. I mean, timing. You know, things look different when they move fast and when they move slow. Like if you know things are urgent, they move quickly. If they're relaxed and you know easy going, they move slow. And you know, by controlling the speed of things, you you can really you know just it's all about giving it the right feeling. Yeah, it's uh, all about think, feeling in the end. Nice, nice. All right, you want to go for That's ten? Enough. Yeah. Well, uh, number ten. Uh, well, I, I've got uh, exaggeration for number 10. Um, what have you got? I got exaggeration, of course. Yeah, that is okay. it. It's basically <laughs> creating a sense of a cartoonish or exaggerated movement. Uh, a lot of that almost kind of has does that with a squash and stretch, right? Um, that, that's, that's usually, yeah, in the style of exaggeration. Here's a, here's a great example of exaggeration. Look at the faces of these guys when, when she, you know, look at all. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, exaggeration is, is, is really a, a key feature in, in, uh, in the 12 principles because it really conveys emotions yeah. and feelings that, that can't be conveyed any, any way else, Sean. Well, yeah, I mean, it gets you can get really, really stiff um, with 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 doing CG and, and exaggerating those movements. It, they just read better and they feel better. Um, for example, if a character is angry, they might stomp their feet mm-hmm. and then wave their arms wildly. And, and in order to read correctly, you may have to just exaggerate that movement and make it like overacting in a sense, right? That's kind of yeah, what that right. is. Exactly. Exactly. All right. All right. What do you got? What do you got for number eleven? Oh, I was, let me show you this. Check. Uh, let me show. Uh, I, I did show that one. I don't have the one for, uh, let me see. Uh, I got, uh, let's see. What do you got for, where are we at right now? We're on 10 or we're in 11? Number 11. Okay. So we're on 11. That's basically solid drawing, right? It's, it's basically, well, I was, yeah, ex- that's, I was yeah, explaining that. Is that a real that. rule? I don't know if that's a law. Well, it's a symmetry, <laughs> you know, it's basically okay. a pose in 2D where you've got everything equally posed and, you know, there's that, there's a, uh, you know, there's no, the silhouette doesn't look, uh, doesn't look good. You should twist the body on the sides. Basically, you know, when you, when I say twinning or symmetry, it's a mirror pose, like the arms doing the exact same thing on the other side of the body. Um, you know, raise one arm, bring it closer to the camera to make it more interesting. Um, I believe I have an, uh, an example of that. Uh, I believe from here. Um, so the, the first one here, uh, from the illusion of life, as a matter of fact, you see Mickey standing here. Everything's twinned. It's basically a mirror image on both sides of that that posture right there. This character looks way more natural because each part of the body is varying some way from um, you know cor- corresponding to the other part. Um, so it's it, they're offset. Um, you've got a you've got a, a much more dynamic look on the second one here. Yes, it definitely gives gives a better sense of weight and you know three dimensionality when when he's posed you know in a more natural natural. It looks more natural. Yes, absolutely. And, and a lot of that is, you know, the silhouette, whether it reads. And there's basically a, a term called uh, contrapposto, and it's basically a counterpose in English. So basically when your hips tilt in one direction, your shoulders tend to tilt in the opposite direction, and that keeps your body balanced. And that's really what you want to be doing. Here's an example of that. Um, basically the Michelangelo, you see how he's posed here. You see his shoulders going up, his, his pelvis going down. And so they're, they're offset with each other, so they're counterposed. Uh, the opposite direction, and and you see that a lot in in dynamic, um, you know, silhouettes and drawings and in poses for all the the characters, whether in two D or three D. Yeah, very nice. And the last one uh, rule is 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 appeal. That's what I've got, and and that's that's basically kind of everything we've talked about wrapped up into one one principle. It's just basically about making the characters and their 
their actions as appealing as you can uh, to your audience. And you, know, you do that, of course, by giving them personalities and emotions using the techniques that we've just talked about. And the more engageable, uh, engaging and relatable they are, uh, you know, by the audience, the, the better they're going to accept the, you know, your, your animation and, and relate to the characters. Yeah, here's, here's another example of, of, of uh, appeal. It's almost like the, the appeal that I always uh, think about a lot is, is uh, real quickly, is, is the Luxo, uh, the, the, the beginning of a lot of the Pixar films. The like, lamp, uh, the lamp. like cuteness, how cute yes. is it? Yeah. yeah. Or even the paperclip in, in one of the Toy Story movies. Wow. So we're, we're at the end. Shoot, we didn't, we didn't do all. Uh, number 13, have a great time while animating. This is really a good one. That's so, my best. That's my favorite rule. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we should uh, go through uh, a lot more in depth in another podcast later on. Maybe we can do that. So Definitely. Well, I just wanted to thank, uh, thank you for being part of our podcast today. We really had a great time answering uh, Amelia's question. What are the 12 rules of animation slash principles, right? We hope you learned something uh, you didn't know along the way because we do believe that you should learn something new every week. If you did enjoy our discussion or thought the info was useful, please share it around with some of your friends. We definitely think word of mouth is still the best kind of advertising. Uh, also, make sure you hit uh, the like button too and that little notification bell because we do put new uh, once a week. We have a new podcast that comes out. And if you're... Uh, YouTube will help the other people find uh, who uh, are also interested in the CGI and VFX related topics we talk about on this, uh, this podcast. And uh, by the way, if you've got a subject, shoot us an email or podcast uh, topic. Just hit, us, uh, hit the uh, website at the uh, About Us tab on the cgbros.com website and, and the Ask Us Anything drop down just like Amelia did. Yes, and we do these podcasts live and you can probably tell. So, you know, you get the good and the bad and the ugly all together. We're not... Uh, I never stumble over the, my words, never. Never, never. And we don't edit them and edit these podcasts. So, well, we do to put the titles in, but that's about it. But, you know, if you've got it, like Sean said, a, co- a podcast you'd like to hear, please, uh, please send it, ship it over to us. Or if you've got a comment, leave it down below where we're, we'd love to read those. Uh, in case you didn't know, we do a, a, pod, a, a new cutting edge edition of the podcast every week uh, where we discuss uh, all things CG. Uh, be sure to check out the CG Bros YouTube channel as well for uh, your front row seat to watch some amazing CGI short film entertainment, uh, as well as finding some great VFX breakdowns behind the scenes and cool stuff like that. Awesome, awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Um, well, let's, uh, let's, let's take it all now. We're looking forward to seeing you here for next week's podcast. We'll be answering another great yeah. fan question. What is a metahuman used for? Now, this is going to be metahuman, uh, Unreal Engine's metahuman, not the generic term metahuman, <laughs> just to be clear. Okay. All right, we'll see you here next week. All right. Well, that's it for today. We sure hope you enjoyed the CG Pro's commentary entitled, What are the 12 Rules of Animation? Thanks for being with us. If you watched us on YouTube and you enjoyed the experience, please hit the super thanks button where you can buy us a cup of coffee. Please give us a thumbs up too. And be sure to leave a comment because we might share it on a future podcast and give you a personal shout out by name. If you're not yet following us on our channel, please hit the subscribe button. Subscribing is free and ring the bell. So you'll be notified when we post our next podcast. Also, please share the video with your friends on social media. Oh, and uh, don't forget to tell all your friends that they too can enjoy the audio only version on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Samsung Podcast, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, 
audible.com and Stitcher. And here's a free bonus. If you'd like even more insider information delivered right to your inbox, subscribe to our free CG Insider monthly newsletter. Go to our website, cgpros.com, and sign up. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Tumblr, and Instagram. And be sure not to miss the next episode when the CG Bros will answer the question, what is a meta-human used for? This has been episode 2304 of the CG Bros CG Insider Podcast. See you next time.